Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland All right, listeners and viewers, welcome back to another episode of Rational Republican. I, Nick, will be taking over the uh, hosting duties today because today our our guest is going to be James Ball himself. Woot woot. James is, uh, he has declared he is running for Metro uh, Council Place 4. And we're just going to have a little conversation about what Metro is and why he's qualified to do it and what the heck he's looking to do when he actually gets elected. So, uh, James, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah, my name's James Ball. Uh, if you've been listening to the show, you're sort of familiar with me. I'm, you know, been here a lot. And, uh, well, you know, grew up in Oregon, was born in Portland, grew up in Bend. Uh, after at about age seven, we moved to Bend, graduated from high school there. After that, went to college at Corbin University, got a double major in math and computer science. Uh, graduated in 2006, at which point I joined the army. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in August of 2007, was stationed at Fort Drum, New York, spent four years there, well, one year training, four years at Fort Drum, two deployments to Afghanistan. Uh, after that, decided to leave active duty, came back to Oregon, moved to Eugene to go to grad school, went to the University of Oregon, got my MBA, and joined the Oregon National Guard, where I deployed a third time. It was actually a, a lot of fun. I quit, well, graduated from business school on a Friday, and that Monday I started working full time for the army again. Got to imagine that weekend was a rager. Oh man, yeah, it was all putting all my stuff in, <laughs> in storage <laughs> and driving down to Southern Oregon, which is where my unit was. And so we didn't deploy for a couple more months, but that was when I started working full time for the army. So I had exactly two days to uh, put my stuff away and prepare for that. Deployed a third time, came back, and then I moved to the to the metro area. I was in downtown Portland for a while working at Intel, which is out here in Washington County. I did that for four and a half years, quit Intel and started ProLift Garage Doors and have been doing that for a little over two years now. So, so I, I got to ask, uh, even though you obviously, as, as our listeners are familiar with, or uh, listener as the case may be, I don't know, I don't know how many we got. Um, you, uh, you ran for, uh, state house district 36, which at the time, and I know they've rejiggered the lines a little bit, but covered downtown Portland, which Correct. is where your condo was. Um, but you are, we are here at your apartment in Washington County. You have now obviously established residency in Washington County, but you've actually, you've been kind of part of the community for a number of years now, but working yeah. at Intel, being part of veterans groups at Intel, running your business that's primarily focused out here in Washington County. So it's, you're new, but you're not new, right? Right. And my, 
and that's what I like to say. My community's been out here, even though my address hasn't been. So I, you know, again, four and a half years at Intel, which is just down the street and in this district. And then I've been a member of the uh, Hillsborough Chamber of Commerce, now renamed to Washington County Chamber of Commerce. Um, for since I started the business two years ago, I'm on the Veterans Business Advisory Council through the Washington County Chamber. I'm on the board of the Cedar Mills Business Association, which Cedar Mills, a lot of that is also in that dis- this district. So, yeah, I've I've been even though my address hasn't been here, I have been involved in the community for a number of years. And my residence has been in Oregon my entire life. Even when I was in the army, I kept residence here in Oregon. So, it's not like I have been that far away. I mean, I'm, I've moved seven miles <laughs> from the condo to here. It's, it's not like I was moving across the state or across the country, like some democratic gubernatorial candidates. Uh, you we, beat we, me to the we may know. Okay, oh yeah. yeah go for right. it. That's I honestly, I'd like to have him on if for no other reason than I like talking to other people named Nick, Nick, Nick Christoph, if you are listening, if you're listening, we're going to give you a hard time for being a Yamhill County foreigner who lived in, I don't know, midtown Manhattan or whatever. But also, please come on our show. <laughs> I would I'd kind of love to talk to you. I'd love to see you win that primary. But we'll we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Uh, but so, like I said, you you've been active in the community. You've taken active leadership roles in probably more organizations than I have syllables for in my entire vocabulary. Um, you're running for this metro seat. Why does why does all the stuff that you've done? prepare you to take a seat on uh, the Metro Council? Well, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I can be a bit wonky with it when it comes to my things that I am passionate about, whether it's Robert's Rules or, well, a lot of Robert's Rules or parliamentarianism <laughs> or those just, just those sorts of things. And Metro is a very wonky position. It's a planning council for transportation and housing for the most part. And it's it's grown into something bigger than that but it's it was supposed to be just a planning the transportation planning council that deals with and and then we deals with things like waste management and the urban growth boundary and again very wonky things like they don't they don't do the the social you know there's no decisions about abortion there's no decisions about gay rights there's no decisions about all those hot hot button issues that everyone likes to talk about it is just government it's building bridges and coordinating things and making sure that the metro region grows and is sustained in in a positive way so if i uh, and we can get into a little bit of a history lesson i guess why does metro exist why why do we need this supra layer of government that exists somewhere between city and county and still underneath the state but has its own portfolio of assignments. So we'll back up a little bit. And, and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but not when the, the mics were on. Uh, what Metro is. It is, it, is, it is the it is a regional government that sits above the county level, but below the state level. And so it takes a big portion of Washington, Multnomah, and Clackamas counties and creates a, a single unified government. And so because it's somewhat unique in uh, in the nation, I think there's only... Someone said there's only two regional um, governments like this, and our metro is different from the other one. So it is sort of unique, and so there's sort of a fuzzy line of where of whose responsibility is for what. And so I think the way that it started back 50, 60, 70 years ago, I don't I forget exactly, was that Portland was Portland the metro area was growing at such a, a 
a pace that they felt the people, the powers that be felt that it would, it, the coordination between the counties, the city, the state was getting to be a bit too cumbersome. And so they wanted to create this layer of government that basically took, I mean, imagine something like TriMet, you know, you've got the, I took a, a big chunk of the max blue line today from Northeast Portland to out to here. And that goes through the, I mean, almost all of Multnomah County and then into Washington County. And so if you're trying to figure out which county pays for that, well, if they have different views on what it should be or where it should be, you know, you can get into a lot of frustrating beating your head against the wall. Whereas if you have one governmental agency that owns TriMet, you, they, they have one plan and one execution. And so in theory, you have some good government, good governance without the quabbling between different stakeholders. Quabbling. Drink, everybody. That's a Scrabble word for the night. <laughs> quibbling, quabbling, quibbling. I I think they may all be words. We sure. will. I If somebody would care to fact check us on that. I, otherwise, I'm just I'm going to try to play all of those the next time I play words with friends. Um, so I we've talked about your your roots as an adult. You've pretty much spent your entire adult post MBA life here, here in Washington County in, in one way or another. Again, if, yeah. if not in address, in in heart and soul and spirit and certainly in, in commerce and in business. Did you did you move here because this is kind of home or did you move here because the the gentleman who's currently in the seat is is not particularly up to the job and if if that's the case what does it take to make somebody successful as a as a seat holder on the metro council well there's several reasons moved out here uh the plan had always been to move about this time of year uh Rebecca and I got married in July of 2020, and the plan was to move, live in downtown Portland for about a year, and then we were, knew we were going to need more space. And so we hadn't quite decided where we were going to move, uh, but we, we had decided that we were going to move there. And so that was the, the primary reason for moving out of downtown was needing more space. You know, eventually we're going to want to start a family. I'm working from home. And so working on the couch has been a pain in the neck. So we were just walking Literally. around looking at my, I've got a, I've got a, second bedroom now that's going to be my office. Uh, so that was the number one reason. Um, as far as the current incumbents, uh, he is in my view about as progressive as they come to the point of almost being a cartoon character of progressivism. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, Again, this is the Transportation Council. This is stuff that a lot of people are not going to be really excited about. But a few years, a few years ago, Highway 26 added a third lane in each direction between Portland and Hillsborough. Highway 26 is the road that I would take every single day when I was going to work at Intel and would get stuck in traffic every single day. And that third lane alleviated a lot of that congestion for people who, like me, lived in Portland but worked at Intel Nike. Uh... Juan Carlos, my now opponent, was the only vote against that extra lane. So you have a very progressive left-leaning council who is very reluctant to add lanes to anything, and they all voted for this because it was necessary. And then Juan Carlos, who is supposed to be representing this region, is the lone no vote. Like, what does that tell you about his priorities and the people of this of this area. He, he has his own idea about the way the world should work and doesn't, doesn't take anybody's 
livelihood into consideration. Like that was a huge deal that really, really needed to happen for the residents of Washington County and the people who worked out here. So I it's interesting that you say that he is progressive because obviously this is this is Oregon and everybody who's anybody is a Democrat. We are on a podcast called the Rational Republican. Progressive in the sense I know where you're going with that progressive in the sense of that's how he would define himself. I would say his policies are the opposite of progressive because he is trying to block progress when it comes to transportation and housing, which is the what he's supposed to be progressing certainly and i i we can go on a on another tirade and i can argue about how republicans are the actual ones who are engaged in pushing forward progress we are the true progressive party not reactionary hippie democrats or whatever but that's that's i believe, what be I believe i've made that point I, before as well <laughs> i on, on that we strongly agree yeah. but I, I i so i suppose i should say his politics are substantially far to the left even by the standard of of oregon whereas yours are center right you are registered as a republican we are on a podcast called the rational republican and you ran for office quite recently as a republican right there's really no getting away from the republican brand at this point sure but <laughs> but in in point of fact this is in this is an actual nonpartisan seat and there is not Correct. an r by your name there is not a d by his name and in fact you have to compete you have to compete based on your cv you have to compete on the experience that each of you has but you also have to com- compete on the ideas themselves and i'd be curious for your thoughts on what it's like to run in a in a nonpartisan race because you are in the unique position of having run in both a partisan race and being defined by one letter by the end of your name and now running in a nonpartisan race where somebody doesn't immediately know what to think of you and any Portland vote any Washington County vote or any Metro Council vote is is going to meet you and have to actually listen to you and what you say and what your ideas are and decide if that's going to make him or her vote for you or vote for your opponent well to be fair about a 30-second Google will figure out which party I belong to. So it doesn't take a whole lot of research to figure out the R and the D in this particular case. But that was one of the reasons that I picked this race as opposed to a legislative race is because you can win on issues and you can win on ideas and not just your your partisan lean and people who vote party line. This is something that I was thinking about. I, I was interviewed by uh, Pamplin Media recently for when I announced this candidacy. And one of the things they mentioned in there was that I lost my legislative seat by, you know, my opponent got 80% of the vote, which is truthful. I then went and reminded him that I also received more votes than any non-Democrat had ever received in that district. So depending on how you frame it, you know, I can either be a winner or a loser. I mean, I lost. So that's, (laughs) that is. but one of the, things I've been thinking about since I had the interview was James Ball R loses to Lisa Reynolds D and people seem to see, they see these elections from like a sports standpoint where I was just looking at uh, army and Bucknell played each other this past weekend and barn burner. The, the, uh, the the score was like 63 to 10 or something like that. Uh, So army beat Bucknell. If you RIP to underbetters. If you switch the if you switch the uniforms, now Bucknell wins sixty three to ten, and because it's the same it's the same people with a different uniform. In politics, it's not the same thing. So James Ball R loses to Lisa Reynolds D. If James Ball D goes against Lisa Reynolds R, now it's probably not going to be eighty twenty because 
people are going to read my my CV and they're going to read hers and they're going to realize that she's endorsed by all these <laughs> liberal organizations and they're going to figure it out real quick that the that the letters got swapped. But it's not going to be quite as much of a blowout. And if any, and, and she might even lose, you know, there are enough people who just look at the R or the D, they don't even look at the voters pamphlet statement, and they just check the box of the party they belong to. So it's not like sports where the best candidate wins. It's different than that. It's, it's the team, the jersey you're wearing matters more than who you are and what you stand for, which is interesting. So you go to a nonpartisan race and you have to take an extra an extra 30 seconds to google where somebody stands as far or what jersey they're wearing and i i think it's great i i think that there is a big opportunity to to win this race or to have a more significant impact or get moderate democrats to or moderate liberals to look at the things that i'm saying and actually consider me whereas if i was james ball r maybe they wouldn't have so and I think my my ideas are much better than than uh, Juan Carlos's. Again, I think that he is standing in the way of progress. It, the he has said as much that he does not want to put any more infrastructure dollars into highways. Now, maybe he wants to maintain them, but he doesn't definitely doesn't want to expand them. But as Portland's the metro area population continues to grow. We need to keep up with that or else we're just going to have gridlock throughout the city. And that hurts business. That hurts small business. That hurts the environment because you got cars just idling up and down the freeway. It's just completely anti-progressive when it comes to uh, the, the growth and health of the region. Whereas I would very much like to see those things grow. And this is another point that you and I have had discussions about a lot and, you know, drives down to Salem or wherever to go Long podcasting to get a podcast. Is, do you, do you know, this is a question, pop quiz for you, the most valuable by market cap car company in the world right now? Most valuable by market cap. I mean, Tesla. Tesla by a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> Tesla makes 1% of the vehicles in the world and they are worth more than the other 99% combined. It is the most, it is not just the most valuable car company. It is more valuable than all of the other car companies put together. I think all companies except for like four or five. I mean, they touched a trillion dollars. A trillion like a dollars. <laughs> a trillion dollars. The, their, their PE ratio is like 400. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, anyway. Go look up PE ratio if you don't <laughs> if you don't know what those are. Listeners. Or if you don't believe Sorry that James that. is in fact the wonky individual he claims to be. Right. He just brought up PE ratios on a politics podcast. <laughs> but why? Why is Tesla worth a trillion dollars when they basically make trivial a number of cars compared to Ford and Toyota and everybody else? Because investors believe in them. Be and you know, they're overvalued. I, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> the Tesla's not worth a trillion dollars, but people are bu still buying the stock because they believe in what the company's doing. They believe that electric vehicles are, are the way of the future. Uh, Rivian is another good example that just IPO'd recently. Like last week. Yeah. You know what Rivian's sales are? Nothing. Zero. <laughs> Zero sales. And they are valued more than Ford that yeah. makes millions of vehicles a year. <laughs> it's this is a true it's story. absolutely insane yeah. what people are valuing 
electronic uh, electric vehicle companies at right now and they're doing it because this is the future and you know that we're i believe i also believe we're in the middle of a bubble and that these things are going to crash and then you know but it's just going to be like in the 90s with with the dot-com boom everybody could see the writing on the wall that the internet was the future they just didn't know how it was going to work and so they were just throwing money at anything with a dot-com in the name and it blew up but now fast forward 20 25 years the most valuable companies in the world are tech companies our internet Google, companies Facebook. so it's it's not that the the dot com boom and bust was incorrect it was just it was just early and people were throwing money at everything i think a similar thing's going on right now with electronic electric vehicles the point being <laughs> all of that to say the future is electric the future of, of vehicle travel is electric and everybody knows it. And if you, and we need to build roads now for electric vehicles of the future. We, we can't just 20 years from now when two thirds to three quarters of every vehicle on the road is electric, you can't then start thinking about infrastructure. You have to do infrastructure now. And also, in addition to being electric, they're going to, a lot of them are going to be self driving. So you're going to have, that will significantly cut into the number of people taking public transit because you don't have to drive anywhere. You can just hop in a, a self-driving vehicle and go where you're going to go. There's a cost factor in there, but I think the, the cost even, even works itself out. So when you have an entire Metro council and Juan Carlos being the most liberal of the fairly liberal council, pushing everybody toward transit, and push and not in, investing in roads, you are setting yourself up for catastrophe 30 years from now. And so I had this whole soliloquy in my mind where I was going to give you a hard time about referencing Army Bucknell when you could have talked about the <laughs> that's, ducks. That's and the, the game I looked at. The, I, I'm and they certain, and they won by a lot. It was a huge. It was a blowout. I I, I feel like you were aware ducks, of the ducks, score Washington, ducks and Cougs. Yeah. I mm-hmm. feel like you were probably aware of Stanford and the Beavs. I feel like there's a lot of Pac-12 games you could have referenced to like try to target some voters. They, they were make them make them see that you're like them and you follow <laughs> Pac-12 football instead of I was Army, in the Army Bucknell. I was in the Army. I'm I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just I don't know how many <laughs> Bucknell people live in Metro Council Four that are gonna gonna hear this podcast and try to vote for you. You well, had an opportunity. But see, voters. but see, those were much more even games. That's not the point. My my race in District Thirty Six Ducks win by like twenty points. I have no idea what the although the Beavers won by like four touchdowns, like five touchdowns. Like that was not an even game. Well, I don't like thinking about that because Oregon lost to Stanford, so I don't like to. I, know. I don't like to talk about how badly they got beaten There's by the Beavers. Several that's, other friends that I have not, not made a, that point to because it's going <laughs> to cause some bad blood. I know you know who I'm talking about. I but. Anyway, instead of going on that soliloquy, which I still we still just did a little bit anyway, uh, I was going to highlight the fact that it it does not sound like you are trying to just be uh, like a, a a good government Leslie Nope alternative to this person whom you believe is is bad for the job. You yourself do in fact have some big grandiose ideas, and you'd like to get into this position because there's some large solid changes that you'd like to make. It sounds like infrastructure being Either yeah. one of them or the center point of, of what it is that you're looking to campaign on. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Infrastructure and, and housing is the other big thing. Like I said, those are basically the two, the two biggest things that, that Metro is responsible for is, is transportation and housing. And, but the way I see the world is different than 
the way Juan Carlos sees it. Like I said, I, I believe that the future of the world 30 years from now is going to be autonomous electric vehicles. And he thinks the future is going to be trains, 18th century technology. So, you know, what, what do you think it's going to be and how should we position ourselves to best take advantage of, of what the world's going to look like? I think that, you know, we could invest in electric charging stations. I think we can widen roads. I think we can, um, electric vehicles are heavier than, than a lot of non-electric vehicles. So you need more reinforcement The Metro's looking at, again, looking at the Columbia river crossing. Hopefully they do better this time. Than they did uh, it was like twenty years ago. And- yeah, they wasted like one hundred and fifty million dollars yeah. on planning commissions, and then it never happened. Yeah. So the, the, this yeah. is another thing that that Metro's works with ODOT and other agencies is to fix, replace the bridge going from Portland to Vancouver. And the reason it broke down, one of the reasons it broke down twenty years ago, was Vancouver did not want any. I, I believe max. I, I don't think it was public transit. I think it was just they didn't want a max line going to Vancouver. The, and I believe the the reason was I'm I'm projecting into people's minds right now. So if I'm if I'm not correct, please forgive me. I think you're but about they, to say what I thought the reason was. So they thought that it would bring crime and homelessness to Vancouver. They wanted that barrier between Portland and Vancouver to prevent Portland from creeping into Vancouver. So whether or not they're they have changed their minds on that. I'm unsure, but I actually took a, um, a survey yesterday of online survey, which I, I don't know. I don't have the URL memorized. So sorry. You can probably look it up where you can put your input into what you want the bridge to look like, what you want, what your priorities are. You know, you can go online and, and tell Metro what you think and what they're proposing is a max line going across the bridge they're going to have, they're talking about having two layers, a top and a bottom, the top being for cars, the bottom being for dedicated transit and like bikes and, and pedestrians and, and whatever. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, that is going to be so expensive for the amount of use it's going to get. You know, I'm all about having pedestrian, you know, sidewalks and stuff across, across bridges. When I lived downtown, a lot of the bridges have, you know, I, I would cross the bridge a lot. That's where I would go running is down along the waterfront and you'd cross one bridge, go down, come back on a different bridge. And it annoyed me when I couldn't cross the bridge because there were no sidewalks like the, the I five bridge, um, no sidewalks there. So I'm all, I, I'm fine with adding sidewalks, but when you add an entire layer of bridge, you know, it's a very expensive way to accomplish the same thing, I believe. And for what? So to prioritize foot and rolling traffic, okay. But how many people are actually walking to Vancouver? How many people are riding their bikes to Vancouver? I don't know, but probably not very many. Not that many. It's, it's going to be not that many. <laughs> that's a long way. Plus, like Hayden Island, you know, the, the, you have in order to get from Portland City Center to Vancouver City Center is a long ways. You have to go a ways. And the people, that's where the city, that's where the pe- population lives. If you're going to have people trying to, I mean, you're either going to have people who live in like super North Portland where not a lot of people do live trying to cross back and forth to Vancouver. I just, I just don't, this is a long winded answer of saying, I don't know how much that's that, how much use that's going to get. Well, so, I will, we'll whittle that down before the first debate comes for sure. But I, I feel like that's definitely like, I feel like that's 
pretty fantastic answer to the question because it's it it, it is not just a it, it's not just something you do because like I don't like the guy that's doing it now. It is something that you do because you do believe in fact that there's really good solid work to be done and like however you feel about the existence of metro in the first place or the fact that it's kind of basically the only entity in the country that serves the function that it does this is where this responsibility lies and this is where you can go and not have to deal with you know you're you're not far enough to the left on climate change and you're too far to the right on abortion and i this that, and the other thing right. you just this is where you just go and get good government done and yep. i as somebody who had I just hosted family in from Texas this past weekend and on Saturday morning we went to go out and do a bike ride and we crossed over those same crosswalks that you were crossing specifically on the Morrison Bridge going from west to east and on I don't actually know it's the the bridge with the steel, trains Steel going, Bridge or, I, or Broadway yeah it's one probably of those. Steel Bridge actually probably steel bridge. um going from east to west and we had a had a ball but we also had a ton of homeless camps we had a ton of potholes in the road we had a ton of just i all this kind of stuff that you just really diminishes the experience and my all of my family was caught in between this you know ugly awkward you know a way where they're just like look at look at this look at portland look at northwest oregon look at this you know this pretty terrain this pretty landscape this pretty leaves all this all this wonderful thing and i oh there's the ninth homeless camp that we've seen oh don't, don't step on the needle as you're crossing the, the yeah, bridge here's, yeah. here's all this garbage and we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's all these places with unsanitary conditions and here's the sixth time our struts have like scraped against the bottom of the car because there's a giant pothole in the road <laughs> and it it's i mean it it is a little bit laughable because like they come up here and like they have so much fun and like yeah. where i we, we've tactfully kept it off off camera but we've got several half empty bottles of wine because a buddy <laughs> defeats, didn't want to it defeats the purpose if you tell everybody what's well, going yeah, on but nobody's i i don't there's gonna be like eight <laughs> people to watch the youtube anyway so is that who knows but because we did a wine taste and we, we had this really wonderful experience on a saturday night all my family is still talking about it. it's like oh we learned you know about oregon pinots and kind of how the soil plays into this and how the climate affects this and that and the other and they're all excited because they live in texas which god i love the state of texas they can't do why they're if they try as they might they have all these vineyards and none of it is good it's just it's all really bad. <laughs> so they're excited to come back up here and have all this more you know wine again and then you get up here and it's just like there's so many pluses and there's so many minuses and the minuses would be so and not to minimize the work that you're doing or the campaigning that you're doing they'd be so easy to deal with if you have somebody in there in these government positions who is competent and who's stable and who's intelligent enough to like to come up with some solutions for some of these problems and to be forward thinking and think about what the city of Portland needs to look like, what the metro area needs to look like in the next 10, 15, 20 years so that we can continue to grow at a rate that is currently unsustainable in terms of housing, in terms of basic public services, in terms of representative government, and actually look forward to making sure that we have all those things so that Portland can continue to be this wonderful, incredible place that in the zeitgeist, my family thinks it is. And that I, you know, anytime I try to talk to them about moving up here, they're like, oh yeah, what a wonderful place. And then you forget about the, you know, 47 tents that you see on the side of the road every time you, you know, turn from Powell onto 205. So one of my army friends is actually a winemaker in Texas. So apologies, Seth, for Seth, to be Seth, listening. Seth, send me a bottle. <laughs> prove me right or prove me wrong. Um, so you mentioned something about competent. I, I don't know that Juan Carlos is incompetent. I think he has a lot of bad ideas, which I think is actually 
more worse. dangerous yeah. is more dangerous. I, I say the thing, same thing about Shamia Fagan. I think Shamia Fagan is also very competent and also very dangerous because she's very good at what she does. And so I, I wouldn't say incompetence is the problem. I think that bad governance and bad ideas is the problem and placing certain ideals above above others like the the reason Juan Carlos has these ideas is because climate change is the premier thing in his mind not to say climate change is not important but the amount of impact that you can have as an Oregonian on climate change is pretty small but at the same time you can have an enormous impact on equity you can have an enormous impact on transportation on commerce on small business on all of these other things the people who live here you can have an enormous impact and so when you place climate change above those things by not wanting to widen roads or whatever you are making a very very tiny insignificant impact on climate change and making a huge negative impact on all of the other things that you're supposed to be a steward of and Again, like I said, the future's electric. In 30 years, this is not even going to be something we're talking about because there will be no emissions from cars. This, they're all going to be electric. I mean, maybe we're going to be talking about lithium mines in China and that being a, a problem, but that's a, that's a whole other discussion. The point is, the future's electric. The, the future is roads. The future is individual transportation. It is not mass transit. And so... We do need to focus on mass transit in the short term because that's how you serve underserved communities. That's how you serve people who don't have access to vehicles. And it, it is important. But at the same time, we need to recognize that 30 years from now, every, pretty much everybody's going to be taking a car where they go. And if they don't own a car, they're going to be able to Uber for 2 or $3 because they're all going to be self-driving. So you've got the same market that you have now of uber but instead of having to pay your driver 30 or 40 percent of whatever the, the the fee is you're now not paying the driver and you're not paying for gas so you just you're just paying uber's salary and you're paying for wear and tear in the vehicle and i don't know <laughs> when you do the math on that it doesn't it doesn't cost a lot, a lot. it doesn't it cost a lot yeah. to get from a to b and so if you're comparing that against a two dollar fifty trimet ticket you know, it, it's start, that takes three times as long. All of a sudden, the calculus doesn't look so good for mass transit. Anyway, we, we just need to be aware that this is the direction the world's heading. And again, this isn't just me. This is everybody who's bought a share of Tesla in the last several years. Everybody who thinks that Rivian should be valued at more than freaking Ford. I mean, <laughs> this is everybody. This is where things are headed. And it's it's not it's not just me saying it. So, uh, what was your question? The, <laughs> always a good thing to hear from a candidate. I, first, I was going to say, shout out to Alan Alley, former Ford employee, friend of the podcast. Um, I, I'd also actually be curious to ask you, you mentioned uh, infrastructure as being kind of a key plank of some of the journal. Oh, it was, it was homelessness. That's what we were talking about. It was um, homelessness. So, in 2018, Metro, well, the, the voters of Metro passed a homelessness bond that goes to affordable housing. And so this is where Metro that was supposed to be, who kind of got into the homelessness game, essentially. Prior to that, it, you know, it's, it's a planning commission and now they're starting to, to 
expand their scope. And then again, in 2020, they passed another bond that was directly to, supposed to impact homelessness. So you got affordable housing and homelessness that were not part of Metro's scope until a couple of years ago. Now they are. So this is another reason, this is another thing that Juan Carlos, I believe, has has failed at, is that all the, they, they, they're collecting taxes from everybody throughout the Metro, account, metro region, and the majority of this affordable housing is going into Multnomah County, which, you know, they need it there. But again, like, why are we taxing everybody for something that goes to, to Multnomah County? You know, I feel like as the representative who represents Washington County, you should be advocating to move some, to build some of those units here in Washington County. But he's not doing that. The other issue, and this is from a more conservative standpoint, we're there. These are grossly overpriced units. I mean, it's something like three hundred and twenty or three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per affordable, with air quotes, <laughs> unit, because they. It's a government project. There are much better ways, public-private partnerships, or simply uh, expanding the urban growth boundary to allow more development that would create more housing for less money than what we're currently doing. So not saying that one is better than the other, you know, you, you can have both, you can have taxpayer funded projects that, that build affordable housing, or you can have private developments that, that do it, you know, maybe use some tax incentives. There, there's a lot of tools in that toolbox, but you're taxing Washington County, you're building units in, in Multnomah and they are way overpriced for what they are. And, nobody seems to be talking about this like uh, i mean come on council like figure it out this is this is not a being good stewards of taxpayers money you can do the same thing for less money if you do it differently and and just it kind of i think that's where i stand a little bit different than the than the existing council feels like it's not within shouting distance of being good stewards of taxpayers money which again that's you know clarion call of republicans but at this i mean I don't know. Any- well, I, think, I think maybe half of that is being subsidized by Metro. The other half is being put up by the by the developer that that will then end up being a low income housing project. So if you look at it that way, the the developer is building these housing these houses for two hundred thousand per unit or or whatever. I'm making numbers up at this point, but um, it 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 makes it pencils out from their standpoint. But now Metro's just taking bond dollars and throwing them at this project that probably could have been done for two hundred thousand dollars if they just stayed out of it, <laughs> or let it happen, or have a have a partnership that that creates this thing and. It just, well, and it's I, 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 the only direction I was going was to, was just to say it's you know Democrats typically aren't the ones campaigning on I want to be a good steward of your tax dollars they're the ones saying you know the rich aren't paying their fair share of taxes we need to get more tax revenue forget how well we're actually spending it but I do feel like this is one of those things that forgetting party labels that if somebody says I I, I want to continue to waste a bunch of your money and somebody says no I want to make sure that your money gets spent in a way that it's actually going to solve the problem that we said we were going to solve when we passed the bond and you guys voted for it I feel like that's a that's one of those things where you could creep across party lines um I I was curious well, to ask so I, just before you before you get into that I think this is interesting I've thought about it and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a Democrat, but sort of one of the ways that I've seen Republicans and Democrats view taxpayer dollars differently. 
Republicans will look at it as this is the people's money. They gave it out of their salaries to me to be a good steward of. And I think that a lot of Democrats look at it as this is my money. I am going to spend it how I see fit. I was elected to this position. I am so entitled so who's whose money whose money is it? Is is it taxpayer money that you are being a steward of, or is it the collective's money that you as the elected leader get to spend as you see fit? So it's who who owns the money, whether the taxpayers or the 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 people spending it, I guess. I'm guessing I know where you'd stand. Well, on that of course, one. but I like it. I so just uh, just today. T- this is Monday, the fifteenth of November. Today, Joe Biden signed the infrastructure bill that was passed uh, mm. a little over a week ago, and it's it's over a trillion dollars. And this is now the law of the land. There's going to be lots and lots and lots of money for roads, for improvements for broadband for all kinds of really good stuff and if this is the if this is something that that you're running on does does that make you kind of the can you kind of claim this as your own can you kind of claim the infrastructure bill and say i want you know the president of the united states passed this who 90 percent of your future constituents will have voted for i want to make sure that we're you know we're taking every dollar that we have the opportunity to have and putting it to its best possible use well best possible use i think is the key there and this isn't just money that appeared out of nowhere this is again taxpayers money this is this is money that has been taxed taken from not taken in a negative sense but taken from people you know this this is peep this is what people earned they pay to the government the government now now gives it to you know different jurisdictions to to spend in different ways um so a couple things about that. One, I think that only about half of that trillion dollars is actually going to infrastructure. The other half, I think, is going to social programs and other, you know, democratic wish list items. Probably not going to campaign on that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, but I, I do think that we need more infrastructure spending. And I think that I, I would have been more inclined to be happy about this bill if it was just a infrastructure bill and not without all the rest of the, of the pork. Um, I, I'm not as familiar enough with that bill to see where the money's going and how it's being allocated. I believe a lot of it will probably just be, be sent to the, the states, which will then decide how it's spent rather or more so than the federal government spending it themselves. So how much of that comes to Metro? How much of that is, is allocated at the state level? I'm, I'm not really sure, but I think that what we, what I would do, uh, if elected is, Again, make sure that it is being used in the best way to maximize the the impact for every dollar we spend. Not just spending dollars because we have it, but again, like I said, with again with the the Columbia River crossing, for example, you know, not building this fancy double decker bridge when you could do it differently, have the same impact with less for less money. And it has it has a couple dedicated transit lanes. For me, instead of having dedicated transit lanes, make those regular lanes so it, that everybody can, can benefit from the lack of congestion rather than just people taking the bus. This is another thing that I've talked about. Not everybody can take the bus. Me working in the trades, I can't fit a garage door on the bus. They're not going to let me do it. So I have to drive. If there's congestion going to, to and from Vancouver and I got to drive something up there, I can't take the dedicated transit lane. There's there's no 
opportunity for me to do that. And it's not just me. There's there's hundreds, thousands, who knows how many people who are unable to take transit wherever they go because of how they work or what they do or you know, maybe it's a time constraint. Maybe there's no, they don't live near a bus stop. There's many reasons why people cannot take transit. And I think that our leaders, our elected leaders in particular, need to take all of those constituents into account and not just, and not just prioritize transit to the detriment of everything else. Again, 30 years from now, transit will be on the decline and personal vehicles will be on the the increase but i i uh, and you're absolutely right in that it, it it's it's worth a look at how, you know how much of the infrastructure bill is actually going to make it to portland how much is actually going to make it to the metro area how much is actually going to make it out here that we that we can actually try to do something with but i think from a philosophical standpoint i this is this is going to be the centerpiece of the the democrats efforts in 2022 this is their i mean for Joe Biden, this is his Obamacare. This is the signature thing. This is the absolute epitome of everything that he was trying to do. He did do, he got a bipartisan bill through Congress. I want to say it was 13 Republicans who voted in favor to support this bill. And I, and they're going to be campaigning on it just like you're going to be campaigning on it in the same election. You're the infrastructure candidate. You're going to be, you're going to be riding Joe Biden's wave. Great. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm not running as a Republican. I'm running, running as nonpartisan. This is this is. Uh, yeah, I know. I can I can do that. I don't need to be anti Joe Biden yeah, I, and, and anti infrastructure. I'm not in this telling role. you this with with side eyes or with a wink or with a sly <laughs> or you know anything like that. I think that it's it it, it, it strikes me as compelling that. Again, despite the fact that yeah, if anybody listens to this podcast or if anybody Google's you for thirty seconds, but. They're going to find out that you're a Republican. But if somebody, if all that they do is just read your little bios in the voters pamphlet or listens to a debate with you and with Juan Carlos, they're going to see that you're the infrastructure candidate. You are the person who's running on the stuff that all the rest of the national Democrats are campaigning on. And I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if some of those people are just like, I, this, this young guy, this young guy who's got his MBA at the, at the second best school in the state of Oregon. <laughs> Well, we're just about out of time. Um, so I, I can't ask you. Who yeah. your fa- I can't ask you who your favorite Republican is, because I know we've asked you just, uh, just going to drop a random question on me without any. any yeah, warning? That, that's okay. exactly right. All right. I don't Go even know what it. the question is yet, Go but that's it. exactly right. But listeners, please listen to prior episodes because we have each talked about who our favorite Republicans are, both in Oregon and at national levels. Um, what uh, you're you're looking to run for this seat that that is strictly based on good governance what's your favorite episode of parks and rec <laughs> i don't know that i have a, a favorite episode um the uh the one where um chris pratt references the uh the kim kardashian tape you know i think about? that was just an outtake was it an outtake I, I oh that wasn't an actual episode in oh it didn't, episode. didn't make it in there oh, but okay. yeah that was, it, that was that's for, my favorite. For any listeners, Google uh, <laughs> outtakes Parks and Rec, uh, Kim Kardashian. Or be- and I think there's one video just best Chris Pratt outtakes, which it, it is hilarious. Because now he's like he's like studly and he's got abs or whatever. And then you look back at like the Andy Dwyer days and he was just like a kind of plunky, overweight guy with way too much hair. He looked like a bat, Ed Sheeran after a bender or something like that. So this is completely unrelated, but he, I remember reading an interview with him and he, he was the cut, you know, 
good looking dude, but he kept getting getting cast as these like bully, you know, douchebag type type of roles. And he's like, I'm I don't want to do that. I want to be funny. I want to be interesting. And so then he got you know, he, he gained some weight and became the, the Andy Dwyer. And finally people like appreciated him for his, his comedy and for his, his, his acting ability and not just being like the, the teenage bully, you know, in 1980s ski movie type, uh, villain. And, you know, once, once he caught on as a comedic actor, you know, he could lose the weight and he could be that stud again, which is, and that's what he's, he's, I don't know, made how many millions of dollars of all the Jurassic World movies, but listeners, it's very much, we are a not explicit podcast. That specific highlight that you're talking (laughs) about is, is rather R rated, but it is quite funny if you have the chance to pull it up on YouTube. But with that, I think we got ourselves an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll, uh, we'll see you. We'll listen to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.